Alrighty, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 6, um, verses 30 to 56. It's on page 712 in this Bible. I have no idea what other, po- what other page in the other Bible, but I know it's up behind me, so you can have a look there if you would like to follow along. So here we go. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a very remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He he, he asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them when they saw him walking on the lake and they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Thank you, Lynette, and good morning, everyone. A big welcome to church today, and a special welcome to you if you're watching us on the live stream. It's so great to have you with us 
uh, today as well. Uh, if you are here uh, physically in the building, don't forget to stick around after the service. We've got some morning tea that'll be happening and that'll be a, just a great time to keep on encouraging one another. Uh, let's uh, just bow in prayer now as we think about this passage from God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for Mark chapter 6. We thank you for uh, what it teaches us of uh, Jesus and who he is and how we ought to respond rightly to him. Father, we pray that we wouldn't be like people who just uh, uh, listen to this and uh, uh, find it interesting but then disengage when it comes to our hearts. Uh, Lord God, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be changed. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, in 2005, the BBC reported on a, uh, an incident that happened uh, with a mob of sheep uh, in Turkey. And apparently this is what happened. Uh, there was this uh, flock of sheep and uh, one of the sheep decided to walk to the edge of a cliff and keep walking. And then the rest followed. One and a half thousand sheep walked to the edge of the cliff and kept walking. 400 of them were killed and uh, the rest of them, uh, well, their fall was softened by the bodies of those who had gone before them. And uh, you'd have to ask the question, wouldn't you? Well, where were the shepherds? Uh, what were they doing while all this was going on? And it turns out that the shepherds were, well, they were missing in action. They'd actually gone somewhere else to enjoy some breakfast together. Uh, one and a half thousand sheep off the edge of a cliff. And they'd left these sheep without their care and without their protection. Now, in Bible times, uh, everyone understood the role of a shepherd. Uh, the shepherd was to, uh, to protect the sheep, to protect the sheep by uh, leading the sheep to green grass. And uh, the, um, so they were to feed the sheep and they were to protect the sheep uh, from uh, threats, uh, threats like um, predators, like hungry wolves and threats like cliffs. And so in the Bible, uh, the concept of the shepherd became an, a very effective image of, of leadership, uh, both of good leadership and also of bad leadership. Because what do good leaders do? What do good leaders do? They provide for their people and they protect their people, sometimes at considerable cost to themselves. Now, uh, in Mark chapter 6, uh, we see two very different kinds of shepherds uh, expressed in the context of people being gathered around for a meal. Uh, last week, in the first half of uh, chapter 6, we saw it was King Herod. Uh, Herod and his extravagant birthday party uh, held in the palace, uh, where with an A-list of the most uh, wealthy and most powerful uh, men of Galilee, uh, culminating with the head of John the Baptist being served on one of the banquet platters. That's one kind of shepherd. That's one kind of leader. Whereas in the second half, if you care to open your Bibles at um, uh, Mark chapter 6, 
from verse 30 onwards, there is a, a very different kind of a meal which is hosted by a very different kind of shepherd. And it begins with the 12 disciples. Um, the 12 disciples were feeling somewhat hungry. Now, uh, you might remember from last week <clears throat> that the 12 disciples had been sent off by Jesus uh, to do a, an evangelistic mission around the uh, villages and the towns of Galilee where they would be preaching uh, the good news of the kingdom. They would be healing people. They were to drive out demons. And now they've returned. Uh, they've just returned to Jesus. And it seems that... Uh, whilst they'd been doing this, that they had actually created somewhat of a stir because uh, they had become well known. And as they uh, hear de uh, they briefed Jesus uh, on uh, what had happened during their mission trip, uh, what they had taught and what they had done, uh, we see that there are still many, many people coming and going to them, seeking after their ministry. Now, some people get so caught up in ministry that they neglect some important needs. They neglect important needs uh, in terms of caring for themselves. Uh, they neglect things like rest. They neglect things like eating. That's not Jesus. Jesus isn't like that. And so uh, we see this in verse 31, if you care to uh, read that with me or uh, read it as I read to you aloud. In verse 31 it says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? <clears throat> get away from it all. Get away from the crowds. Get away from people and uh, rest and eat. Um, interestingly, the word that's translated there is as a quiet place and then also translated as a solitary place uh, is the word which uh, more literally translates as desert or wilderness. Um, <clears throat> some of the <clears throat> translations, for example, the ESV, uh, translate that as a desolate place. And that's actually important uh, because there is a, an issue there, which we'll come to in a moment. But what we see in the text is that as people saw Jesus and his disciples uh, leave on boat, it seems that they knew where they were going because in verse 33, they decided to head to the same place, but not by boat, rather by foot. They ran. There's a picture here of a whole bunch of people running to this place where they knew Jesus and the disciples were going to. And as they passed through different towns along the way and told the good news about where Jesus and the disciples were going, other people joined them and the, and the, and the, and the crowd just swelled. I mean, uh, later on in verse 44, we're told that uh, by the time that they got there, that there was 5,000 men. Imagine that. And that's just the men. Uh, we're told in, in Matthew's Gospel that that doesn't include all the women and the children who were there. And so there's a possibility here that they had somewhere perhaps up to 20,000 people. About 20,000 people. 
And so, therefore, just as Jesus and his disciples had departed into this deserted area, into this wilderness for rest, so too did a great multitude of God's people follow them for a different kind of rest. Now, one of the most significant events in the Old Testament is the Exodus. Uh, When God uh, rescued uh, his people Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, where he miraculously um, exercised control over the sea and parted the Red Sea so that they could enter into the desert, enter into the wilderness. Now, who was their leader at the time? Who was their shepherd uh, during the time of the Exodus? It was? It was Moses. And, you know, before Moses died, and he died in the desert, uh, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 27, he prayed to God that God would raise up a leader who would replace him. And this is what he prayed. He prayed so that the Lord's people would not be like sheep without a shepherd. He prayed that God would raise up a leader so that God's people would not be like sheep without a shepherd. And here in Mark 6 in verse 34, as Jesus arrives at this desolate place by boat, it seems that the crowd had got there before him, quicker to go up by road than by sea. The crowd was there before him and as he looked out on this huge crowd, what was he filled with? He was filled with compassion for them. He was filled with compassion for as he looked at the crowd, what he saw was he saw sheep without a shepherd. Now they had supposed shepherds the leaders of Israel. But the leaders of Israel were not caring for the sheep. I mean, Herod, he he only cared for himself and his reputation. And even the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, well, they, they didn't protect God's people. They didn't feed God's people God's word. They didn't protect God's people from dangers. They were the danger. They were the spiritual danger. And so God's people were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does Jesus do? He shepherds them. We're told that he feeds them, he teaches them God's word. And then he he feeds them in a different way as well. Now, I don't know about you, but you're probably like me. When I start to get hungry... I start to get a little bit impatient. You know what I mean? Well, what about the disciples? I mean, they were hungry before they headed to this desolate place and they still haven't eaten. And now the problem has grown bigger because Jesus has been teaching this crowd of many, many people so much so that it's now getting late and there's a crowd of perhaps up to 20,000 people there And no one's got any food. There's no food. And so in verse 36, uh, they approach Jesus and they suggest to him, they say, look, um, how about winding this up? I mean, uh, and, you know, dismissing the crowd so that people can, can spread out and they can, 
you know, trek to some of the villages and towns around and they can, they can get some food. Imagine that. I mean, those villages and towns, the biggest of the towns had only about 3,000 people living in them. And so imagine 20,000 people turning up at all the local nearby villages and towns wanting food. I think it'd be like half of Port Macquarie turning up at Lake Cadai without notice wanting food at the local shops. Hard to imagine. Well, check out what happens next. Because they've said to Jesus, uh, you know, why don't you send people out to go and get food? And Jesus answered them by saying, well, why don't you give them something to eat? Why don't you feed them? In verse 37. Now, they think that what he's telling them is that he wants them to go and do the shopping. And they they kind of raise the issue there of finances. And, I mean, even if the local uh, shops and bakeries bakeries were miraculously stocked with enough food for 20,000 people, what about the money? I mean, it's going to cost half a year's of wages. Is that really a good use of finance? But Jesus had something very different in mind. You know, uh, when God led the people of Israel out into the wilderness at the time of the Exodus, they also became hungry. And they also complained. I mean, uh, you know, why'd you lead us out here, Moses? I mean, you know, uh, we, we would have been, we're going to starve to death out here. Uh, we, would, we were slaves in, in Egypt, but at least we had food in our stomachs. Why did you lead us out here? And so God provided for them. How did God feed them? He miraculously provided for them bread in the wilderness every day, except the Sabbath. And they, they called it manna. But you know what? It didn't take long for them to get bored of a diet of just bread. And so uh, in Numbers chapter 11, God promised uh, to give them meat to eat. And even Moses uh, cried out about that. He cried out and I quote, he said, look, I've got, I've got 600,000 men here in the desert and you're promising to provide meat? Where's the meat going to come from? And God provided that meat, didn't he? Um, you know, flocks of quail turning up every night and providing meat for them to eat. Miraculous. And it sounds a bit like Mark chapter 6. Thousands of God's people in the wilderness, hungry, but with a shepherd. Now, imagine the situation of the disciples here. In verse 38, verse 38 they, they did manage to find a little bit of food. Uh, there was five loaves of bread and there were two fish, uh, which in John chapter 9 we uh, read came from a, a little boy in the crowd who said, hey, I've got some food I can offer you. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And so Jesus says, all right then, uh, it's time now just to uh, break everyone up into groups, get them to sit down on the green grass, which is interesting, on the green grass, ready for the meal. I think it'd be a bit like if we're away on church camp, and I hope you're coming to that in March, and... uh, it's lunchtime and we pack everyone into the hall and we say, right, everyone, go and just find your seat at your table. Everyone sit down at your table and then uh, we're going to say grace 
and then table by table you can go to the servery and get your food but all along we know that the, the cooks didn't turn up for work that day and there is no food. There is no food. And that's the situation that the disciples are in. Uh, that uh, this is what they had to do, sit everyone down and then Jesus says grace. Now the grace that Jesus would have said, uh, the, the Jews had standard words for graces and there was a standard word for a grace or a blessing uh, when uh, the, the, what was on offer was bread. And this is how it went and I quote, uh, it says, Praise to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth. And with that prayer, and we don't know in whose hands the food multiplied, but it multiplied. It multiplied to the extent that everyone in that crowd was full. In fact, the 12 disciples went around and collected up a basket full of leftovers at the end of the meal. Each. And so what's the meaning of all of this? Well, um, some people say, well, let's look for the moral of the story. Uh, in fact, one well-known commentator said that the moral is this, that uh, it's all about generosity. And because in actual fact, everyone who was there had packed their lunch. They all had some food with them, but they just weren't sure that they wanted to share until the little boy came and said, well, here's my food, I'm happy to share it. And everyone brought their food out. And that's the moral of the story, be generous. Well, really. <laughs> well, how about this? What if there is a connection between Jesus and this meal and the miraculous feeding of God's people in the wilderness at the Exodus? Now, you know, before the meal, um, the disciples had suggested to Jesus that maybe he might want to dismiss the crowd so that they can all go off and get some food. But now, after the meal, Jesus dismisses the disciples. He tells them to hop in the boat and head for the town of Bethsaida, uh, where he'll meet them later because he's got some um, unfinished business uh, with the crowd and also he needs to spend some time on the mountain nearby praying and the scene is now set for another miraculous sign uh, let me read to you from verse 47 when evening came the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night, that's about three o'clock in the morning, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they were all terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And he climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down and they were completely amazed. So it's the middle of the night. There is a strong headwind. So they haven't made very much progress. And even from the land, Jesus can see them. And he can see that they are struggling. So he goes to rescue them. 
not by getting into a boat and rowing his way out, not by jumping in and swimming to them, but by stepping into the water and walking on top of the water to get to them. How did he do that? Sandbar, perhaps? Well, these were experienced fishermen. I think they would have picked up on that. No. They were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. And when he climbed into the boat, in verse 52, they were completely amazed. Completely amazed. They were astonished. Why? Well, why wouldn't they be? You'd be astonished as well, wouldn't you? You'd be amazed. But Mark gives us a different reason. In verse 52, he says that the reason why they were terrified, the reason why they were amazed, the reason why they thought it was a ghost coming towards them is because they had not understood the loaves and their hearts were hard. They'd missed the point about the bread. Because when large quantities of bread miraculously appear in the desert to feed God's people, that's a clue about Jesus. When someone controls the sea sufficiently that that they can walk on the water in order to rescue God's people, that's another clue about Jesus. And you know, Uh, When Jesus climbs into the boat and says, take courage, it is I. Well, he might simply be saying to him, look, don't be worried, guys, it's, it's me, Jesus. But literally, what he says is this. Literally, he says to them, take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. That's another clue, isn't it? Like God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. I am. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him because they realised that he was making a claim to be God. Take courage. I am. Friends, the feeding of the multitude in the desert tells us a lot about Jesus, about who he is and why he came. He is God. And in Jesus, there is a new exodus. There is a new salvation of God's people. I knew a lady who was part of this church who... Uh, came to church regularly and I think that she'd been attending church for all of her life and she was quite elderly and she very much enjoyed reading the Bible. She very much enjoyed reading the Gospels and she would have known this passage and known it well and she would have loved this passage and yet she did not believe that Jesus is God. A great man, uh, a wonderful teacher, but not God, because as nice a person as she was, her heart was hard, her heart was hard. And she didn't enjoy that peace uh, which comes from, uh, from the Exodus, 
that peace which comes from being forgiven, from being saved. You know, the, um, this miraculous recording of the feeding of the multitude, it's actually recorded for us in all four of the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and also in John. And the account of it in John's Gospel is quite interesting because it, uh, John re recounts for us a conversation uh, between Jesus and his disciples a little time afterwards where they talked about this miraculous feeding in the desert. And the disciples, they were very excited about what had happened. They thought it was terrific. They thought it was a great miracle. But Jesus' response was that the, the bread in the wilderness is actually like so many other, like every other uh, physical need and uh, so many of the pursuits that we have in life. And we can sometimes feel very satisfied because our stomachs are full and we've got all of the material possessions and the things which we need to live comfortably but as we do that, we shortchange ourselves. For Jesus says is that the more important bread is Jesus himself. I am the bread of life, he said. I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never be hungry. He's not talking about bread which fills our stomachs but the bread which can fill our lives. The bread which can fill our lives with the peace of forgiveness, with the satisfaction of meaning and purpose, and with the assurance of an eternity spent with our Creator. It's the bread we all need, isn't it? It's the bread which Jesus gives because Jesus actually is the good shepherd. Uh, the good shepherd who feeds his people, the good shepherd who protects his people, the good shepherd who does so by laying down his life on the cross to free us from sin that we may enjoy God forever in the greatest of all banquets, the great heavenly banquet. So what are you living for? Are you living for the things of this life which perish like food? Or are you living for the, the very food which endures to eternal life? Do you know that um, crowd that uh, ran after Jesus and his disciples on that day and ran all the way to that wilderness, to that deserted place, uh, they, they didn't bring their food with them, did they? They didn't do that because they weren't thinking about their stomachs. What they wanted was to be with Jesus. How about you? Is Jesus your life? Is Jesus the one you live for? Is Jesus the one in whom you put your trust? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for Jesus, who is the very bread of life.
We thank you that uh, the exodus in Egypt, uh, the miracles uh, of the feeding of the multitude and the walking on the water all point us to who he is, that he alone is the one who can bring us satisfaction, the satisfaction which we crave, the satisfaction which is found in being forgiven by you and knowing you for all of eternity. Father, we pray that we would each be those who put our trust in him, the good servant, the good shepherd who gives up his life for the sheep. Amen.